Welcome, everybody, to this new edition of the Untold Story podcast with Martha McCallum. Grateful to have all of you listening to us today and really grateful to my friend and elections co-anchor Brett Baer for joining us today as well. Hi, Brett. Hey, Martha. Thanks for having me. So, you know, it's great to have you. And uh, no surprise to anybody at home uh, that Brett has a very long history of writing really interesting and insightful books about our nation's history and significant moments in it. He is, of course, the special report anchor and executive editor and Fox News Elections co-anchor alongside yours truly. And the new book that he has written is called To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. Brett, uh, welcome again. It certainly feels a little like a fragile American experiment this week, doesn't it? (laughs) It really does. Man, I mean, we, we are in the middle of history, you know, when you have the House Speaker being kicked out of his job for the first time ever in the Republic. I mean, those are big, mm-hmm. big moments. And, you know, all of these books that I've, I've kind of gone down, uh, I really tried to find these nuggets of history that that people are overlooking, you know, when you kind of look through it in a history book, uh, that maybe fill in the, the blanks, uh, each one of these books that I've done. And this one really goes back to the Founding Fathers. And it kind of fits in this week uh, with all that's happening uh, about the founding of our nation. Yeah. You know, when you were working on it and then you were watching this unfold, what kind of jumped out to you? Because it is the first time in 1910 there was a challenge to Joseph Cannon, who later had a house office building named after him. So he survived. But um, Kevin McCarthy did not. So what was built into the Constitution? What kind of things were on the founding father's mind and George Washington's mind when they put this great experiment together that we sort of saw play out a bit this week. Yeah. So just to to rewind, you know, when the nations founded, um, they win the war against the British. It was a major, major event. Washington was heralded as this massive commander who had managed to change the dynamic with these ragtag forces who didn't have uniforms and they kind of had horrible shoes and bloody feet in the winter of Valley Forge and um, really got them over the finish line with the Revolutionary War. Then there's this time where it is super chaotic in our country. A lot of people don't remember that time in the history books, but uh, there's about seven years there where it's it's just all over the place. In fact, there are many people in the colonies saying, you know what, forget this. Let's mm-hmm. just go back to British rule. Um, it'd be easier. So the Articles of Confederation was set up to as a loose blueprint, but it wasn't holding together. So they come up with this constitution convention, May of 1787. And that is where George Washington becomes the head of that and steers the process. And they start really going into the details of the Constitution we have today, the very same one. They were concerned mostly about the thought that it could get out of hand and that there wouldn't be equal representation. That was one of the biggest battles from big states and small states. But also the power of the executive. They didn't want it to be overpowering. They didn't want a monarchy to develop again. What we saw this week up on Capitol Hill, you know, this is a result of other rules outside of what's listed in the Constitution. This was an effort by Speaker McCarthy to become Speaker and negotiate a deal where one guy could bring up a vacate the Speaker if he didn't like what was happening or she didn't like what was happening uh, to, to start this vote. 
what we saw was pretty amazing. If you think about all the Democrats and eight Republicans siding together to kick the guy out, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Republicans manage to bounce back from that. They need to do it quickly, politically, so they look like they can at least govern. Yeah, you know, one of the questions I had for some of the lawmakers that I was in touch with this week was about, um, you know, they kept saying, well, we can't move forward on this or we can't move forward on that because we don't have a speaker. And I said, well, you know, you have Patrick McHenry, who's the speaker pro tempore. So isn't the whole reason there is such a person so that you can keep the wheels turning so that you can keep going here? And they basically said, well, we've never been here before, you know, yeah. so um, we're looking at the rules. We're looking going back to um, the original construction of the legislature and figuring out what happens in situation. Um, you know, it, it really, Brad, when you look back, just to step completely into the present for a moment, when you look back at this, it really, the right, this is all because of the midterms, right? Kevin McCarthy went all across the country working on these elections. He told everybody uh, that he spoke to back in those days that, you know, they were going to get 25 something seats, that he needed that in order to give himself the the buffer zone around essentially these eight, eight individuals to prevent this from happening. But it came up way short with only four um, you know, for a margin of four Republicans in the House, they were in the leadership, but by such a slim margin. So in many ways, uh, this really goes back to, you know, the issues of abortion, the reasons that they lost uh, uh, people who were um, backed by the former president, you know, all of the things that really fell apart for them during the midterms. That's right. And listen, you and I were in those background briefings with McCarthy yep. as he's kind of laying out really all around the country where he was going, where he was deploying money, how he was raising money, uh, who was great at campaigning, who wasn't, mm -hmm. and could go district by district around the country and talk about each race. It was pretty amazing if you think about it. And as far as you know, raising money, there was nobody that was as uh, prolific as Kevin McCarthy was. In fact, to this day, even after he's been kicked out as speaker, there are a number of Republicans up on Capitol Hill hoping he's still going to be in the money game uh, because he's that good at it. But you're right. It came down to he didn't have the buffer. Had he had three, four more seats, it really would have made the difference to not have to negotiate and go through the 15 rounds to become speaker and to negotiate some of the power um, that could kick him out of office. And that came down to abortion. It also came down, down to the threat to democracy pitch that mm -hmm. President Biden was giving that nobody at the time really thought was really sticking. But if you look at the exit polls, it really was sticking. The Untold Story continues right after this. Yeah, absolutely. And as you point out, now the concern for Republicans is they have now put their fundraising giant uh, across the country who really enjoys that whole process of shaking hands and getting out there and meeting people, you know, really raises some questions for them in terms of whether or not they can significantly add to those seats if they don't have him in that really influential position. Do you have any sense, Brett, for whether or not he's going to want to do that work, given what has just happened? You know, that's a great question. I, I haven't talked to him individually, but I have talked to people around him. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think he's ready to get out of the game. And uh, mm -hmm. I do think he likes that part of it. The fact that they gave him the alcove office that Nancy Pelosi mm -hmm. had in the Capitol kind of suggests that they want to keep Smart him move. close by <laughs> and uh, and make him happy. Um, yeah. I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see who becomes the next speaker, who can get 218 votes. And, you know, the former president coming to Capitol Hill potentially uh, next week is just yeah. a whole different 
circus that oh um, raises know. a lot of a lot of questions. But keep, let me tell you this: yeah. this this book. Um, one of the things that Washington writes at the end of his farewell address, and that is, is to this day, mm-hmm. one of the documents and speeches that everybody goes back to. But if you go into the words, he's really concerned about partisanship. He's concerned about political parties and thinks that over time they could become supercharged to uh, create mischief inside the process. I mean, how prescient at mm-hmm. the first, you know, he's, he serves eight years as president and in his farewell, which was the biggest moment for him as president to actually do the peaceful transfer of power. You know, no one gave him a note in the desk. No one passed the torch to him. He was the torch. And uh, to then step aside and say, listen, be careful of partisanship. Be careful of political parties. Be careful of getting entangled overseas. To this day, that speech is still really relevant to what we see today. Yeah, such a great point. And it's really a danger and a danger that, as you point out, he recognized how potentially, you know, country ending that could could be, right? When, when you have partisanship that is so deep that the sides start to not trust each other at all, that that creates an environment where we look at this 24 election and people wonder, well, what happens? You know, what happens if it happens again? If people don't trust the outcome of the United States election? And, and that is one of the things that the country is, is grappling with. And I think sometimes when you're in the middle of, a, of something like this, it's hard to see it. But when you step back and look at history, you see these moments, which you have focused on so beautifully in these books, that are turning points. Mm-hmm. And it's a question that's on my mind, I think a lot of Americans' minds, uh, as we look at what's to come and whether or not we can get through this period well. I mean, we've talked about it, Martha. I mean, the mm-hmm. polls showing that people are just really um, doubtful uh, about institutions. Mm-hmm. They are increasingly uh, questioning the FBI. They're increasingly questioning the government overall. They're inclu- increasingly questioning the election system. When you have that level, and by the way, social media and online stuff supercharges that whole, I don't think Washington ever thought of the fact that that could ever happen, but but the fact that everybody is in their basement, you know, saying what they feel, um, and maybe driving a wedge even further in some of the the different political parties. I, I think there does need to be some kind of leadership that steps outside of that envelope and says, "Listen, we need to improve things, but we do need to um, to get back to." what our founding fathers were trying to do. And to this day, there are questions about the Constitution. There are questions about should it be redone in some way, shape, or form. But progressives, libertarians, and conservatives have looked at it, and just recently, in the last year or so, and came up with minor tweaks to a document that really around the world is the biggest living, breathing document that provides liberty to any nation. So true. Um, I'm just thinking about a conversation, and you had uh, your great interviews with um, MBS and with Bibi Netanyahu, and I spoke to Netanyahu that week about you know the fact that they don't have a constitution and that they look to the American constitution. And you see other countries around the world that look to the American constitution for that foundation. And I also think about the oath of office and borders and, and Ukraine and what's happening in the Middle East. And we have this issue at our own southern border where it's constantly being... Um, penetrated by people from from the outside. And just, you know, to to close, another thought of something that's very much top of mind right now is Biden's 
real decision. He's trying to make it sound like it's not um, <laughs> a reversal, but he, he's going to build insane. 20 miles of wall because they're they're recognizing that there's an overrun, an illegal overrun of people coming into the country. And that was, you know, national security was the number one, the most central part to the oath of office of president. Totally. And and listen, I know that the job of White House press secretary is tough. I know it's difficult to take those questions. But listening to Green Jean-Pierre try to explain the memo and the mandate mm. from DHS to build 20 miles of wall because it's urgent to stop that at the border and then explain that she, one, hadn't seen that, and two, it was old from six months ago, and three, the president's right that walls don't work. It was such a rhetorical pretzel that um, it's hard to, it, you start to go back to the people who are like, I, I don't trust anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a major, major political moment for this White House and how to deal with the border and the de and deal with the issue of uh, illegal immigration. We thought it was going to be a bigger deal in 2022. I, I think it's gone over the top. I think it's more of a political driver. If you listen to those people in Chicago yes. yelling at the camera, if you listen to New Yorkers, if you listen to people in Philadelphia or Arizona or any of the border states, it's more of an issue now than it ever has been. Yeah. Clearly, um, it, it clearly is. So, you know, in closing, what do you think that George Washington, based on the work that you have done, would think about the fact that we have this infiltration at the border? And also, was he better than this president or maybe the, the last president as well and many other politicians at saying we've made a mistake? We hear you. Um, we need to correct something. We need to get this right because our job is to take care of the American people. Yes. Listen, um, there's a lot of writing about Washington that looks at him like a godlike figure. He was human. He had frailties uh, and he admitted that. But what he was really good at was um, bringing people together. He was often silent and, and somber, um, but he could gather people together to come to, despite major, major dissent, some conclusion. We haven't had a leader like that mm -hmm. um, in a while. I think arguably Dwight Eisenhower is the most bipartisan president we've had. Um, but And there were efforts in, in other administrations. But really, it has been playing to the base and stirring up the next vote. And we're always one election from solving the next big thing. Uh, I, I think we could use a Washington and um, or at least some of his sensibilities uh, today. Well, let's hope uh, that some of those people who want to leave the country will read your book um, <laughs> and they can at least sort of aspire to become a Washington. The book is called Rescue to Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment, which we continue to live in today, and we hope it will endure for our children and our grandchildren as well. Brett, thank you very much. It's great to be with you. Congratulations on the book, which comes out on October 10th. We look forward to reading it, and we look forward to hearing more from you as you continue to enlighten us about a lot of these periods in history, which we all need to know about. So thank, thank you, you so Martha. much, Brett. I really Always appreciate good to it. see you. You bet. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Thank you, my friend. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.